we were looking some time ago at Hebrews in chapter 5 we were seeing how no one can take the honor to be a leader of god's people verse 4 even if men appoint you to leadership if god does not back it up nothing will happen and that's dependent on the individual as i said paul appointed elders in ephesus but after 3 years of observing them observing all those three all those elders very carefully for 3 years he said to them in acts 20 i know that after i leave verse 29 wolves will come in won't spare the flock why the wolves couldn't come when paul was there i don't know supposing there were 200 churches 200 people in ephesus church one man kept the wolves away and when that man was removed the wolves just walked right in now this is how it was in the old testament moses let the people out of egypt side idolatry and everything else he was away on the mountain for less than 6 weeks just 40 days and all 2 million of them went into idolatry and the second leader aaron was called by god but he couldn't stop it god had told moses you and aaron lead the people it was like a joint eldership but that second elder couldn't do anything the people said we must do this he said okay let's do that they said no we must have a some let's make a calf okay stuart give me give me your ornaments and it says he fashioned a calf and then moses comes down and he rebukes that man how did what did you do this and he gets scared now i don't know moses i put this gold and a calf came out liar elders can be like that where they allow compromise and moses brought the, all of them back to god it was like that in elijah's time too one man brought them all back to god now it should not be like that in the new covenant 
But here we see it was like that. This is long after the day of Pentecost. And we see how the elders in Ephesus were all backslidden in Revelation 2. You read about diatrophies, an elder who defied the Apostle John in third epistle of John. But John says, I'm going to come there. See, when the apostle came, then people got a little fear. If Paul came to Ephesus back again, something would have happened. Or if John went to one of those churches. See, what you read in the New Testament, unfortunately, is that very often it's one man who preserves this church from going downwards. <coughs> you read that in Mark chapter 13 where the Lord um, says he uses a parable he's like a house owner who's going on a long journey verse 34 and he gives a responsibility in the house to each one of his servants you do this 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 and there's one special servant there that's the doorkeeper the watchman the other fellows are sweeping the floor and arranging the furniture and looking after the various things in the house but the watchman he is special so there are two categories there all the servants and a watchman and so much depends on the watchman if the floor is not swept and the furniture is not arranged every day that's not so serious if those servants are a bit lazy and um, don't sweep the floor every day okay some little dust may accumulate there but if the watchman is sleeping <laughs> the whole house can be robbed that's much worse than little dust accumulating there every church must, must have a doorkeeper. You don't need more than one if he's a good doorkeeper. But that one person is the one who is going to preserve the church. So I believe that wherever there is such a doorkeeper in a church, the church can be preserved. Otherwise, the church suffers. And Paul was like a doorkeeper in Ephesus. Not only for his church, but also his co-workers. You read, for example, in Philippians. Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians 
he is talking about his co-workers now not about a church verse 21 they all seek after their own interests not those of christ jesus he looks around his co-workers he says i've only got timothy whom i can send you verse 19 and 20 See, this is not, he is not looking at a church. Even in Acts 20, he was not looking at a church. He is talking to the elders. Church being like that is okay. It's understandable. Babies, carnal people, half-hearted people. People who want to live half for God and half for the world. Every church will have them. People in the outer court. But when you have elders who are living in the outer court, that's very serious. That was the trouble in Ephesus. And here also, his co-workers, full-time workers who gave up their jobs to serve the Lord. I don't think they were like this in the beginning. When Paul would never have selected them, because we know how strict he was with John Mark. Paul, Mark, Yohan. He would, not have, he would never have selected a half-hearted person in his team. His standard was higher than Barnabas' standard. So can you imagine what type of people they were, these were in the beginning? I've seen a lot of Christians like that. in my lifetime full time workers elders who are really serious and wholehearted in the beginning young people have seen like that on fire for god and they get married they have one or two children and they are absolute backsliders now they have to please their wives now they have to live for the world and make money for their children and their mind is all on that okay you have to leave such people in the outer court but where are the leaders then where are the leaders who will lead the church or or they get married to the wrong person who is either half-hearted or a legalist i'll tell you between the two the legalist is worse i was saying here to the other day uh, that You know the greatest fear i had for my children as they were growing up was that they would become pharisees because i have seen enough children of elders who are pharisees they are either pharisees or thoroughly worldly it is very rare for me to find among all the full time workers and elders i met in india children who were just normal children who were neither pharisees nor worldly india desathile ulla aneya ulugana ulugana pidave paathirukken 
They were either legalists or thoroughly worldly. And I said I would rather they are worldly than they are legalists. Why? I mean, best is if they are not either. They are balanced like Jesus. But that's very difficult. If this tendency is so strong. Particularly in our children. Because from childhood they know I am the son of an elder. I am the daughter of an elder. And there is sort of a legalism that comes into that. Or a worldliness. You say, I can do what I like because I am the son of an elder or daughter of an elder. So it's a great battle to preserve them and everybody else also is watching them. Oh, what dress, what, what dress are they wearing? What shoes are they wearing? What are they doing? Well? What are they studying? How are they behaving? They are watching them. All the poor things can't live a normal life. You may face that in your church too. I certainly faced it. And in the midst of all this, I have to fight a battle as a father. Say, Lord, my children have to live a normal life. And I'm going to, and I would pray. And why did I prefer that they, are, they become worldly rather than legalistic? If, if they have to fall, let them fall that side rather than this side. <clears throat> Best is they don't fall at all. But if there is a little tendency in one direction, let it be towards that side, not this side. Because I saw in the Gospels that worldly people had a thousand times more opportunity to be saved than legalistic people. I have seen children of, of elders and full-time workers, thoroughly, thoroughly legalists. I, I have very little hope for them. I have more hope for the worldly ones that one, one day they'll come to light and be and repent. Don't, don't train your children to be legalists. Pray that they will grow up as normal children. That's why I say don't push them forward too fast. Even if they are wholehearted, hold on, hold on. In your zeal you push them forward and they become legalists completely. I've seen that. Come on, come on. Go up, go up, let the church see you. That's the way to destroy them. They're not ready for it. Be careful. So here were young wholehearted people who joined Paul. And after some time they find <laughs> this Christian life is not as easy as I thought. When you're twenty years old and you're forsaken everything and you want to follow the Lord, it all looks great. And you get married and you have a few children, you have to bring them up, you've got to take care of their financial needs, so many needs. And there's so many pressures. And then the church people, church, church needs and so many things. 
And then people say, hey, we better seek our own. We'll still continue to preach and serve the Lord, but I've got to take care of myself. Otherwise, nobody will take care. So that's what happened to these people. I don't think anybody in the churches could recognize that. Because, because 95% of people in a church have no discernment. You can be a thorough backslider and 95% of the people in the church will think you are spiritual. So, if you depend on your popularity in your church, you are doomed from day one. If you think, oh, the 95% of the brothers and sisters accept me, you are doomed. I'll tell you that. I'll give it to you in writing. I'm telling you, after 40 years of observation, 95% Christians don't have discernment as to who is spiritual and who is not. They are all fooled by shouting and noise and this, that and the other. Look at the number of people in our churches who are deceived by all these television preachers. They never check, are these people preaching like Jesus preached? No. They don't have Jesus as their standard. It's like the film stars and the show and light and this and the other. They're impressed. This is fantastic. They sing and all that. It's so exciting. Is it leading you to a godly life? Is it leading you to be free from the love of money? Are you overcoming anger through listening to them? Are you overcoming the lust of the eyes through listening to them? No. You're singing better. Go to the rock stars. They'll teach you ten times better than these fellows. I believe God has raised up this generation of preachers to test God's people to see what they want. And a lot of our people are falling for it. God says, I'm testing them. God is sifting all the time. Sifting people. You know when 32,000 people joined Gideon to fight against the Midianites. The Lord says, too many people. Tell those who are afraid to go home. 22,000 went home. Thank God, I don't have to pray. Uh, 10,000 people were left. Bold, ready to go to battle. The Lord said, no, there is too many. They are bold and all, but they are half-hearted. If they see something that attracts them in the world, they will go for that. So, they, Gideon says, let's go fight the enemy. They pass by a river, they are all thirsty. 9,700 of them 
put aside all their weapons and put their head in the river to drink water they forgot all about the enemy but out of the 300 they were ready looking for the enemy and just quickly drinking water they were also thirsty the Lord said I tested them they didn't know it was a test they brought them beside plenty of money and i wanted to see what they would do 9700 buried the heads in it ah tested failed but some people we all need money jesus needed money took enough but my calling is to live for god the lord it could be money it could be pleasure it could be anything in the world the lord said these 300 i don't know they are not like john the baptist eating locusts and wild honey and all they live normal lives they build homes bring up their children educate their children but they don't live for those things they have they have compassion on people who are poorer than them they don't wallow in their wealth and not care for the poor not care for the poor how can god use such people 300 out of 32000 that's about like paul says all my fellows people are seeking their own did you know that in a hundred situations you faced in your life till today god was testing you you didn't know that to lead you to a greater level of anointing to make you a more effective minister in the church <coughs> to see whether you would go after your job or after god's kingdom how many of you if you had the opportunity to advance your kingdom advance your earthly interests would pursue that if you don't have a calling from god okay then it's all right pursue your earthly interests but here your interest is to pursue your earthly interests at the same time you want to give the impression that you're an elder in god's church how many of you would say i don't want my promotion because i want to be here to help god's church it's one of the first decisions i took after becoming a christian god is my witness my goal was to be the admiral of the navy and i was working towards that goal and and one day christ came into my heart it was a real 180 degree turn around i lost my interest in advancement in my profession from that day i said my job my job is only to earn my living i don't want to be a beggar 
I don't want to be dependent on other Christians. I never want to beg, I never want to borrow. So I want to earn my living. But I don't have to be the admiral to earn my living. Let me be a junior officer. To say sir to people who are 10 years junior to me, I am willing to do that any day. I am willing to say sir to the auto rickshaw driver who drops me in my house. That's no problem for me. I want to be a servant of God. I don't want the devil to have any place in my life. Yeah, I can tell you God has tested me. Through numerous things. I remember when I, the day the Lord called me for my, to leave my job, it was on the 6th of May, 1964. Somewhere here near Bangalore, I never knew I'd be living here afterwards. It was here that I decided, 1964. <coughs> I was here in some ministry and that's where I just God called me. <coughs> and I went back to my work after I was on vacation. <coughs> Determined to give in my resignation letter. <coughs> when I went there on my table was a letter from naval headquarters. That I had been selected for the most prestigious course that all naval officers want. That would, that would, that would guarantee me promotion to higher levels. This is exactly like the devil saying, I'll give you all the glory of the world if you just bow down to me for a moment. <laughs> I didn't even take one minute to decide whether I should accept it or not. I took it to my senior officer and said, Sir, here's my resignation letter. I don't want this. He said, Lieutenant Poonan, don't be foolish. Think about it and come back. Okay, he told me to go back to my office. I have to go back. In the military, you have to do that. I sit there, do something else for half an hour and go back say, I have thought about it, sir. Okay, I'll forward your letter. I've seen in Christian work at different times where I've been tempted to seek my own interests. I remember when I came here to Bangalore some years ago, 33 years, oh, 33 years ago. 33. I was, we were struggling financially, my wife and I. And there was this wonderful Western Christian organization that said, 
We want you, Brother Zach, to be the director of our organization. Free car, free telephone, free house, free, I don't know what all free, a lot of free things. In Bangalore, if you want to do well, you must either be a businessman or join some Christian organization. That's the one who gets free this, free that, free everything. I didn't take one minute to think about it. <laughs> I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I come back to me after one month. Think about it, think about it. He he said, God's not called me to sit behind a desk. He's called me to preach the word. I see numerous occasions like that where God tested me. It's like Abraham was tested. Will you choose something else other than me? There are so many offers here, there. And finally he passed the final test. The Lord says, I swear unto you by my name Abraham, that nobody will be blessed as much as you. I'll make you a blessing to every single person you meet. Brothers, God's been testing you through numerous events that have taken place in your past life. To see how much of a ministry He can commit to you. You are studying the Bible, won't do. That's good. Coming to leadership seminar, it's good, but that won't do. You have to pass the test. And you have to convince God. God has to be convinced. But I tell you, if you pass the test, you'll get something that you don't even dream of today. You will become a blessing to every single person you meet in your life. You sit with your little church and say, yes, God is blessing us here. There's no unity among the elders, there's conflict, there's strife, the young people are all worldly. You happy with that? Have you ever thought, why is it God is not mightily moving here? Why isn't He sent a fire here? Why are people bored with everything I preach? Don't blame them. Ask yourself whether you pass the test. Only God can make you a blessing to others. You can never make yourself a blessing to anybody. You can determine today I'm going to be a blessing to everybody. I've seen people who tried to do that. They were a nuisance. Only God can make you a blessing. God said to Abraham, I will make you a blessing and nobody will be able to stop it. Your enemies will be my enemies. What a wonderful place to come to. This is our birthright. Have you given it up? 
for some bowl of porridge here, some bowl of porridge there. Inge oru paitra murugaga, oru kaasam paitra murugaga, neengaludaiya putrasuga neludukittu. What is that bowl of porridge? Andha oru kaasam What what is it that he saw sort? Yesa edhi theriyan? Something for himself. Like Paul said, they all seek their own. Now, some people when they hear a message like this, say, okay, now I must give up my job and become full-time worker. And become dignified beggars or undignified beggars for the rest of their life. No, no, no. Don't do that. You cannot join the army or the navy or much less God's work without his calling you. அவர் உங்களை அழைக்காத பட்சத்திலே நீங்கள் அந்த கப்பல் படையோ அல்லது தரைப்படையோ அல்லது தேவனுடைய சேவையோ நீங்கள் சேர முடியாது. You can't go into full time work without God calling you. தேவனுடைய அழைக்காத பட்சத்திலே நீங்கள் ஊழல் ஊழியத்துக்கு போக முடியாது. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people in Christian work. Not at all called. It's so obvious to me when I look at them. God hasn't called these people. So that's not the answer. The answer is to be wholehearted where you are. See what it says in one Corinthians seven. One Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 20 Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called Are you a slave Verse 21 That means are you working for somebody Some company or government or factory whatever it is Don't worry about it In those days it was slavery Even as a slave, where he had no freedom, no salary, nothing. Freedom, there. Don't worry. I mean, slavery is so terrible. If you can become free, free. But if you are not free, don't worry. Remain where you are called. Unless God calls you to something higher. And if He calls you. He will provide all your needs. I can testify that for forty forty years. If he hasn't called you, you will end up joining some organizations, begging or writing letters or hinting or all types of things. Or join some organization and get a salary. I'm not against that. I'm saying those are for people whom God is not called. Or, you know, where you give up your freedom. See, I'm not saying it's wrong for a Christian worker to be supported by people. Nothing wrong with that. Individuals can support, somebody can promise to support you, or a church can promise to support you, perfectly okay. But, like it says in verse 22, that's, that that. prevents you from being Christ's slave then it's wrong I would never in my life allow somebody to support me if I prevented me from doing what I felt Jesus wanted me to do Before I supported myself 
started supporting myself for a period there were others who supported me in the years before we started the church and i remember in those years that i i still had one principle that i will never accept support from anyone who wants to control my ministry or who wants to change my ministry make me sit as a director somewhere so what i'm trying to say is you know we think we the other day we were talking about full time work yeah god may call somebody to full time work and there's nothing wrong in being supported financially by anybody there's nothing wrong in being supported but not that he controls you as his servant that's very important all seek their own that's the condition in paul's time and it's also the condition very often today so there are not going to be many not many can be doorkeepers if you seek your own how can you be a doorkeeper we will produce people in our own image and that's the reason for all the conflicts in our churches that's why the presence of the lord is not mightily there in many of our churches because god is looking for someone who will not seek his own someone who is past test after test after test to whom he can commit his word moses was like that his fellow elder was not so moses went away for one month the whole congregation backslides he comes back after a month everybody comes back people are like that we need more door keepers in our churches it says about jesus in hebrews chapter 5 no one can take this position unless he's called but it's not enough to be called we saw abraham was tested we saw jesus was tested how do you know jesus was tested because he got a certificate at the end of the testing period this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased i watched him for 30 years he's passed passed all the tests have you noticed this dual expression that comes in genesis 1 frequently frequently have you meditated on genesis 1 have you seen this expression that comes twice again and again and again and again don't rush through any chapter of scripture at least from today onwards stop you know there are sometimes when i my scripture reading is one verse for one verse for many days i'm not in a hurry to go through the bible in a year i'm more interested in the bible going through me if i go through the whole bible in one year nothing goes through me it's no use 
நான் God says something to you. He said something to you the last three days. What's the next thing? He sees. Has it happened? Can he certify? Good, it's happened. I told the trees to come out of the earth. Came out. Immediately. Good. Don't let it be just said. and god said 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 next conference and god said and god said and god said and god said and he saw it was not good at all devan sonar devan sonar devan sonar adha conference kodukiren devan sonar devan sonar devan sonar devan sonar sonar endru solli kadaithire adu nalamalle endru kandarade nam vaadi vekkavanna can he say i said something and he stopped seeking his own naan onrai sonni He stopped seeking his own. He started seeking the things of God. First, he put God first. In other words, he became like my son. Good. So, life is a constant progression of becoming like Jesus in area after area after area. Not just in character, in ministry, in preaching, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in delivering people from demons, in doing good to people, in being a blessing to people, delivering poor sinful people from condemnation, helping people to be free from sin. Not only character, but ministry. So we read in Hebrews 5, it says, in the message bible verse 5 god told his son you are my son today i celebrate you god wants to do that with us too you are my son i want to have a celebration with you yes lord sure i'm all for it go right ahead let's have a celebration because i'm your son He gives me a ministry. You're a priest. That's what he said to Jesus. That's what he wanted to say to us. You're an elder in that church. Okay, Lord. What next? Verse 7. Prayers with loud crying and tears. Hey, Lord, I thought it was authority and getting up and preaching and all that. <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 that'll come. Before that. Loud crying and tears. Prayer, supplication. Oh, Father. 
Save me from all spiritual death. There must be not even be a smell of spiritual death in me. What is the smell of spiritual death? A little love of money. A little carelessness with the eyes. A little seeking my own. Oh Father, save me from it. How to pray for it? You know you can pray for it in a casual way. Yeah Lord, I don't like these things. You know, if you can help me that will be great. That's one way of praying. The other way is Jesus. Loud, he didn't, I don't ever see him praying with loud crying and tears in public. Only once he wept in public, that is the tomb of Lazarus. Oh, but he prayed, it says, in the days of his flesh, means 33 years. Not, some people think that is only in the last day of his flesh in Gethsemane he did that. No, no, no. I believe what scripture says. In the days when he lived on earth, in the days of his flesh, he That's why he went into the wilderness, so he wouldn't disturb anybody. I mean, he, he was lived in such a poor home where he didn't even have a room to lock the door and pray. Many of you live in homes like that where you don't have a room where you can lock it up and pray. Some of, some of you are rich enough to have your own room, but Jesus didn't have that. He had to go to the wilderness. I mean, even if you had a room in your prayer and you started crying loud, the people knocked the door, hey, what happened? Are you okay? So he had to go to the wilderness. He didn't want to disturb anybody else. So I used to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, there's no wilderness around Bangalore. What to do? If I start shouting and yelling in my room, people will get disturbed. I mean, the neighbors will wonder what's happening. My wife and children will get disturbed. Is he, is he in some pain? Is he having a heart attack or something? <laughs> so the Lord showed me. He's got an answer for every generation, for every situation. For, for situations like Nazareth, whether our wilderness is close by. And for, and for concrete jungles like Bangalore, where it's only buildings, buildings, buildings. The Lord said, you can have loud crying and tears in your heart without a sound coming out of your mouth. I said, great. <laughs> I can follow Jesus right in my room. Particularly at night when you're alone. Lying alone in bed, your wife is asleep and everybody is asleep. Without, a, without opening your mouth, without a sound. Loud crying and tears in your heart to God. God says, what do you want, son? Oh, Father, not a smell of spiritual death should be in The prince of this world is gripping your gripping your people with money and, and pleasure and laziness gossiping 
carelessness in their speech god my father please that's all i pray i'm not asking for a better house better scooter nothing i'm not even asking for another pair of clothes don't let the smell of death come up everything else is secondary lord the other things if you give me i take it if you don't give me it's okay and if you give me and take it away also that's fine but spiritual death lord i don't even want the smell of it do you have a desire like that just like when you are filthy and you raise your excuse me brothers i just want to have a bath before i come back i'm stinking all perspiration all that i want to have a shower is it a very difficult thing for such people to want to take a shower or a bath every day it's what we love to do all normal people feel clean at the end of a having a bath why aren't we so particular about our spirit how is it we can accumulate filth upon our spirit and not be disturbed and then when he prayed like that it says his prayers were heard because of his godly fear what is the mark of godly fear that i say lord i don't want the smell of spiritual death on me you know james says even the garment spotted with the flesh i don't want we must hate and when we do that here is the wonderful promise i will be heard he will hear me if jesus recognized that only his father could keep him from spiritual death what stupid people we are to think that we can keep ourselves from spiritual death jesus could have said father i don't need your help i am all right i can take keep myself from spiritual death i don't need it he would never have prayed then you know why we pray so little about these things because we are filled with self confidence yeah i heard that message i'm going to do it now and that's why we fail there's no cry i want to ask you let's take another area of ministry let's take okay let's take sin first think of the area in your life where you are falling most frequently adikadi vilundu pogure and pogudi ningal illi paaru is it anger kobama is it sexual lust paali ichcha is it telling lies koisaloda is it love of money panaasiya is it seeking honor ganathi theruvala i'm just trying to think through matthew 5 and 6 that's all I'm not inventing these things I've read Matthew 5 6 and 7 pretty thoroughly they come to me Those are the things Jesus all that I mentioned now the things that Jesus mentioned more Is it a bitterness against some enemy That's also Matthew 5 Uh whatever it is 
When was the last time that you prayed with loud crying and tears to be free from that? I mean, some of you may have spent some hours preparing sermons. Good. Some people don't, some people don't even do that. But to cry for deliverance that's from all spiritual death. Yeah, he was heard. Why are we not heard? Even Jesus prayed like that. And that was a mark of his godly fear. I believe that we live in a generation of people who do not have godly fear. And that's why that discernment of what is spiritual and is not spiritual is not there in them. See, it says here in the last verse of Hebrews 5, mature people are those who by practice have strained their senses to discern good and evil. What is good? See, Jesus once said, only God is good. So we can read this verse like this. They have trained their senses to discern what is of God and what is not of God. So, when I listen to a preacher today, whether in a pulpit or on television or anywhere, my senses are discerned, can discern. I don't care if he's preaching truth. Some people say he's preaching the truth. Supposing I stand up here and say, 2 plus 2 is 4, 3 plus 3 is 6, Hallelujah, 4 plus 4 is 8. Turn to your brother and say, 5 plus 5 is 10. And I go on like that with all these Americanisms. Undiscerning people and say, Brother, everything he said was the truth. He never said, he never, he never said 5 plus 5 is 11. He never even said 10 and a half. He said 10. Is that anointed? Just because you say, oh, it was truth. People who don't have discernment are fooled by all that. A few hallelujahs and a few shouting and a few turn to your brother and sister say this is enough for them to say. All these psychological gimmicks don't fool me. Jesus is my example. I have seen reality. To discern between what is not of God and what is not of God. I don't go around saying all these fellows are evil. That's not my business. My job is to light a candle. But I'm, I'm not fooled. That's all I'm saying. I watch it and I'm not fooled. You know the number of people in our churches who are thoroughly fooled by all this? Why? They are not mature. Their senses are not trained. They are so large-hearted, they'll accept the devil himself. 
Not if he comes as a devil, but if he comes as an angel of light. That's happening. But Jesus couldn't be fooled. He wasn't fooled by anybody. He never talked about Judas Iscariot, but he knew. How do we know he never talked about Judas Iscariot? By meditation on scripture. There's no verse that says that. But on the last supper, they all said, Lord, is it I? And nobody looked at Judas Iscariot. He also said, Lord, is it I? And the way he said it, everybody says, no, certainly not him. He was the smartest of the lot. How do you know? If you can live with people for three and a half years and they don't know you're a crook, brother, you are smart. <laughs> but Jesus never gossiped about him. God will expose him one day. But he was discerning. <laughs> he knew who was a devil. My brothers, we must have discernment. If you don't have discernment, you will be fooled in this day and age. And that discernment comes through practice. Where in your own life you are crying out that the smell of spiritual death should not be on you. And verse 9, Verse 8, sorry. He learnt obedience through what he suffered. So that's another part of our education. To learn obedience when obedience means suffering. That's what it meant for Jesus. When obedience involves suffering, he still obeyed. You know this, some obedience does not involve suffering. All of you brothers, please come for the leadership seminar. How much suffering was that? It's like telling a child, come on, eat up this ice cream. And after that, you must eat this chocolate. How much suffering is there in that obedience? <laughs> But when he's just about to uh, win that uh, uh, cricket score a game or score a run or something, and mommy says, come in, I've got some work for you. Their obedience will mean suffering. So there is obedience which does not involve suffering and obedience which involves suffering. And it's the obedience which involves suffering where we are tested. That you get up and preach every Sunday, that's no suffering there. It's others who suffer most of the time in such cases. <laughs> you don't suffer. <laughs> but... <laughs> Suffering is where you have to deny yourself. He learned obedience. He, learning is an education word. Jesus got an education. And 
thus he completed his education perfect means it got filled up finished everything tam purana aaru perke nismal aaru anda padipini mudithu vittar it's not that he was imperfect at any time avar endha kaala kattathil purana irukkala perfect means perfect means filled up purana endru nerappapadudhu from childhood siruvaidhu tempted past vetti vetta tempted past tempted past tempted past tempted past tempted past completed and then he became the leader for others that's how we become a leader he became the leader for eternal salvation to all the others that's the way for us to go let's say lord i want to follow you that's the way to spiritual authority that's the way to overcome satan let's pray